Cora, if you want to throw up the, the verse there, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke 18, 1 to 8. We're going to open up a three in the Word of God. I'll just wait for it to get on the screen there. This in itself is an experience, I tell you. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go. And Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It may be a little differently up here, but follow along. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Father God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. And I just pray, Lord God, you're our good shepherd. You are our healer and our uh, one who's anointed this, and I just ask your blessing on us today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Well, good morning. Uh, this morning, I'd like to preach to some specific people. And as I say, I'm looking around to see who's kind of shifting in their seat, thinking, oh, who is it? <laughs> is it me? What am I supposed to tell him? Uh, Dennis? <laughs> I, I, I want to welcome Dennis and Jolene Peterson, too. Uh, dear friends of uh, both myself and, and the church. And I uh, wasn't expecting to see him today, but I mentioned I might put him on the spot. So we, we've, we've uh, done that, and now we're moving on. Uh, and as I'm saying I'm speaking specifically, I do have some notes. Which means my eyes are going down here occasionally, that's why. I know if I keep looking up here, I'm probably going to go like this way and that way, and we kind of want to stay on course a bit here. Uh, in January, Pastor David introduced us to the theme of the messages for the year. It was territory. Stepping out and going after what God has called us towards. Uh, then over the summer, we looked particularly an aspect of that, uh, supernatural summer and God equipping us and empowering us to move forward in that. Now as we go uh, back into the fall, and as we return to the overall theme of territory, uh, maybe it's time to do a little bit of a checklist, uh, a check of where are we? In January, we heard about territory. Some of us got excited to move forward, to step into what God had for us. And as time progresses, sometimes that excitement kind of dwindles a little bit. Uh, have you asked yourself lately, whereabouts are you? Now, I'm, I'm confident if I'm to ask a number of you, how are you doing today? How's your walk with Christ? How's the, the territory you stepped into? I'm sure most of you would be great. God's great. Life's good. We're rolling along. Things are swell. But perhaps, perhaps if I was to ask a couple of you, maybe in a moment of candidness, 
how are you doing? How's your relationship with Christ? You might say, I'm struggling. So specifically, I don't have names. But it's for you. It's for you who are struggling. Are we moving to the territory Scott has called us to? And if not you, maybe someone close to you. I mean, we all struggle, right, at times. Interesting thing is when I say struggle, or if we answer struggle, do we ever ask ourselves what we mean by it, first of all? Maybe it's just personal experience or experience with others. Usually when they say, I'm struggling, and and you ask them, where are you? And they say, I'm struggling. First of all, they mean it almost as, as a place. That's where I am. And they also mean it as a feeling. Even something that's being done to you, like you're on the receiving end of the struggle. You're getting beat down. You're struggling. It's not so much that you're fighting, if you want to use a different word. It's another word for saying, this is where I am, this is how I feel, and uh, it's not, not very great. But it's interesting, when we think of it in a different word as fighting, because fighting and struggling are the same thing, if we think of it as fighting, fighting is an action we take not a place where we are. It's an action we take in the place where we are to fight, to struggle. But if it's an action we take, then where are we? No? If we want to use in kind of the contemporary journey language in this sense, uh, the Old Testament uses walk. Your walk with Christ, your journey with Christ. Kind of think of it as you're at a crossroads. A decision point, a point of wrestling, a point of deciding what's next, whether it's a period of dryness, a period of confusion, a period of dealing with sin, or you know what, it doesn't even have to be epic, it can be just mundane. Sometimes our Christian life suffers, it seems, in just the mundane things of the day-to-day grind of life. And what once was passionate fire is a little ember now. We're not sure how we got to that place, but that's just where it is in the moment. So specifically, that's who I'm going to be talking with today. I'm sure it's not most of you. Probably nobody in the room. So you you give me a little bit of grace by letting me practice for the people that will eventually come in to hear this. The common thing about coming to a crossroads is that everyone involves choice and decision. And immediately we find ourselves presented with options that lead us either closer or farther away from the one who calls us. So I thought we'd look at three of the options here. The first option we have, if you want to call it that, is to turn back. I mean, realistically, in a sense, it is an option that's given. But is it the best option? Now, 
in these points of wrestling, you can actually look at it one way, one of two ways, really. You're the person struggling with the sin that's brought you to this crisis point. Because usually when we think turn away, right, that's, that's repentance. So in that sense, that's, that's good. But the decision point isn't usually what's brought about this crisis. It's the fact that, if you want to think again, looking, using, because I like illustrations, if you want to think of the journey of the path, when you've deviated from the path, you've gone from light heading out towards darkness. So it's like the light has got your attention again. It's illuminated the fact of where you are, and now the decision needs to be made. You're going to move towards or away. Right? So in that sense, whether you're struggling with sin or whether it's the mundane, and you're not struggling with sin, you're just not sure where you are, it's really the same decision point. To turn away from him and go after your other option, whatever you think that may be, or to continue on, continue on to him. There's a, a Chinese general, you, I'm sure you've heard of him, Sun Tzu, if I say his name, Sun Tzu, wrote the Art of War and, and uh, military colleges study and whatnot. He said, the fight and conquer in all our battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. See, the enemy doesn't need to beat you. He doesn't even need to make you think that he's won. All he needs to do is make you think that you can't win. That's all it is. If he can get that, doesn't need to do anything else. You can't do it, can you? Turn around. Did God really say? Did he really call you into that? Turn around. It was your ambition. It was your pride. Turn around. It's not really you. Who do you think you are? Turn around. In Galatians 4, 7, Paul asks, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless basic forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? And Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 20-21, for if after they have escaped the filthy things of the world through the rich knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they again get entangled in them and succumb to them, the last state has become worse for them than at the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than to, having known it, to turn back from the holy commandment that had been delivered to them. The author of Hebrews said this to say in 1039, But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith, the preserving of the soul. The Lord said there's a hope and a future for you. It's, it's fascinating. If we want to turn away, what are we turning to? Have you ever asked that? Really? I mean, Jesus said there's really only two paths. There's the narrow path and the broad path. One leads to God, one leads away from God. That's really, you, you take all the options the world can give you, religions, secularism, whatever, it's all two paths. One towards, one away. So if it's not towards then what's the benefit of the one away? If you look at what the world offers, it's fascinating. I'll be honest. Because they say they're from nothing, they're for nothing, and they're going to nothing. Consider that. 
ultimately, that is really what they say. They came from nothing. So there's no purpose. So there's no purpose that they're here. And they're going to no purpose. So nothing ultimately matters. And that's the hope they give. <laughs> they have no hope, ultimately. They say the best that you got is to take what you can get now and make it count while you can. If you can. While you can. And that's it. And even that, if you're paying attention, all the world can offer fades. My generation grew up on television. And we watched people at the height of their, of their fame. Now, as I'm getting older, I'm watching them get older, and I'm seeing the strong don't stay strong. The beautiful don't usually stay beautiful. And they invest a lot of money, and they end up looking really freakish eventually. <laughs> the rich, a lot of times they don't stay rich. And no matter how rich someone gets, no matter how powerful someone gets, someone eventually comes and eclipses them. And their significance is diminished. The ones with the influence and clout, eventually that fades. They've got nothing that they can offer. The best they can offer is the hope for something that fades while you can have it, and then nothing. Think about this. If God wasn't even true, what he offers is better. But he, he offers ultimate hope, which is something the world cannot offer. For real. In Proverbs 24, 16, although a righteous person may fall seven times, he gets up again. What else you got to turn back to? But to stay, to stay the course. You may answer with Job that God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He's plunged my path into darkness. And that may be how you feel. And he says at 19 verse 8. But you can also answer with Job to those feelings in the same chapter, 19 verse 25 and 26. But as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last, even after my skin is destroyed. Yet from my flesh I will see God. And again, with the psalmist, you can answer. In Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand pleasures forevermore. You know what's fascinating about this, actually? Not so much in the side, but when it says, you will not leave your Holy One to corruption. You know what that word corruption actually means? The Hebrew word is shakath. And it sounds like I'm spitting. Shakath. And literally what it means is a pit. A pit they would use for capturing lions or beasts. The way I understand it is they would dig this pit so that the lion or the beast would fall into it and then they could safely kill it because they couldn't confront it directly. And the psalmist is saying, you may feel you're in a pit. God's not going to leave you there. We live life moment by moment by moment by moment, really, if you break it down, which means these afflictions last for a moment. 
and then we move on. Let's crinkle the page here. Option two, going back's not gonna work. But what about our second option? Our second option is to stop and stay. Set up camp, not going back, but ready to settle down and call it good. I mean, I've got this far. I'm not gonna go back, but I don't know if it's worth it to go ahead. I'm uncomfortable. The change might be a little bit costly. I'm not gonna go back. I'm good. What's interesting about this option is I was thinking in Numbers 32, it's sort of a, a physical idea, a uh, representation idea, where the Israelites are going to cross over the Jordan into the Promised Land. But two tribes, the Gadites and the Reubenites, on the east side of the Jordan, before they cross over, they say, you know what? Our cattle like it here. This is good. Uh, God's given us this territory. We've cleared it out. So, yeah, we're good. We don't need to cross over. We'll take this. We're fine. And Moses gets ticked off because he thinks automatically that their intention is to not move forward across the Jordan so that they don't have to fight. They're like, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll fight. In fact, we'll go with you, and when it's cleared out, then we'll take our land. But, but we want this. We'll, we'll, we're good. We'll stay. What we can learn from this, because actually it was a positive thing in a way, is you may think that this is where you're, you're okay with being. What about the people beside you? The people you're involved with? See, our life and walk with God is not just me and God, and that's it. It was never meant to be that way. Jesus says, the greatest commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. What's the second one? And can anybody hate his brother and say they love God? God says you're a liar if you do that. So just to say, I'm good here, that's great for you. But there's more than just you. So if for no other reason, get up and press on because you've got other people. We've got a generation involved with now and coming up. And even ahead, there's people all around us. They need to know the power of God. Amen. They need to know people that are, are committed to following God. They're not going to give up. They're going to press ahead, even if they're comfortable, that they're going to fight even for their benefit and for their sake. So option two, stop and stay. Well, I don't think it's the best option, to be honest. Better than the first, but I think the third option is the best way. Now, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe you can agree with me. I hope you do. Option three is to choose a direction to move forward in it. You've got turning back, staying where you are, moving ahead. Now, this is the one where faith really comes in. This is a hard one. This is the fight. This is where it takes faith to believe. This is a hard one. In the scripture we opened up with, 
You notice what, how Jesus ends this. It's not that God isn't faithful. God will provide. God's more than willing. He's, in contrast to the unjust judge, the sinful judge, he's a gracious God who's more than willing and able and eager to come and help. But Jesus ends it in a very somber tone and says, but will I find faith when you come on the earth? See, that's the struggle, and that's the battle right there. When we said we were going to take territories, some of us may have forgot. When you say, I'm going to pick a territory, what you're saying is, I'm going to pick a fight. <laughs> really? Because what you're moving into, something has to move out of. God gave the Israelites the promised land. It wasn't empty. They had to go in and clear it. Now, he was going to go and fight ahead of them. The battle was won. The war was done. But they had work to do. Work that took faith. Work that took effort. And that's the struggle of moving forward. Of what's required. But it's also the way to success. I mean, there is a risk. There is the possibility of risk and potential failure to move forward. But, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You ever considered that, what, that, what he's saying in that? That's a huge statement. It's huge. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, this is not... To, coin, to use the term, the, the cheap, easy grace, where it, it doesn't matter. No, no, Jude says, in the book of Jude, if you're preaching like that, you're already condemned. He says it, look it up. That's not, that, that's not what it means. It's not a carte blanche. It doesn't matter what you do, God loves you, and, and you're forgiven. Don't worry about that. Right? You, you can do whatever you want, and God will just kind of step in and and give you the, the validating ticket for you to walk in heaven, and thanks God, see you later. No, no. But what he's saying is, you follow me, you're not going to fail. You might fall, I'll help you get up. You might misstep, I'll get you back on track. Where I've called you, what I've set for you, what I've appointed for you, you're going to do. Why? Because I said you're going to do it. I gave you the call, I gave you the equipping, I gave you the anointing, I gave you the plan, I gave you the life and the breath and the being to move. And then, by the way, I'm actually working in you to will and to do anyway, so don't worry, just move. Muhammad Ali, he said something interesting. He said, the fight is won or lost far away from witnesses. Behind the lines in the gym, and out there on the road long before I dance under the lights. What he's saying there is, even before he gets into that ring, he's already determined in his heart that he's won. Even before you're in the battle, you've got to determine now, I'm not turning away, I'm going forward. Come hell or high water, I'm going forward. See, we've got to remember where we are in light of where we're going. Now, you may find yourself in, in some kind of struggle or some kind of dryness. That doesn't mean you've gone way off the track. 
David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. Philippians, Paul writes, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. See, what God has called you to is not changed. Why? Because the object of the call is always to lead us and others to him. The territory that he has for you finds its greatest value through him. He is the real promise. In the Old Testament, the Israelites missed this. They saw the promised land and saw that as, as the ultimate promise. And it was what God promised them, but the bigger promise was him. That's what made the promised land so special. Amen. He was the one who made them a people. He was their promise and their reward. The whole earth was his. He was their reward, and he is your reward. What he's called you to, as great or as little as you may think it is, is only to lead you to him. He is your reward, he is your promise, and he does not change. The same call he gave you before that trouble, before that dryness, is still there. The callings and giftings of God are irrevocable. He doesn't change. He still called you. He's still equipping you. And whatever you're going through now, if you're going through, if anybody here is going through it. <laughs> is in such a way that not only will it glorify him, that you'll come out stronger than before. You say in the past, I remember my past. I remember the passion I had for God. Now it's, just, it's, it's, it's an ember. Paul says, let it go. Maybe it was. Maybe that's where you are now, but let it go. Because there's something greater ahead. Maybe what you had and lost was significant, but there's something better ahead. And that little ember today can be a raging fire unlike you've ever seen before. Amen? Amen. First Peter, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. He doesn't forget your labors, by the way. Even if you feel everybody else has forgotten, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten what you've done. Those prayers you've given. The sacrifices you made. He hasn't forgotten that. Hallelujah. And he calls you, come. Amen. He's a faithful rewarder. Yeah, that's right. D. Alan Trueblood said, Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. We move forward, not because of the object, but because of him who's offered it. Let's get real for a second. God either is or he is not. 
There's no gray area of God partially existing. Right? He either is or he is not. Now, we can get into this a bit. We don't have the time, but I put my money on that he is. For a lot of great reasons. So if he is, and he's revealed himself, maybe I think about this for a second. If he actually is, then even by definition of who he is, he is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He does not change. He is good. Now, good is a word we've forgotten and, and misunderstand and misuse. And I've said it before, but good, there's nothing lacking in immorally. Can we even think about that? His will, his actions, his intentions, his purpose, his being is good and kind. His kindness, I, I don't mean for this to be an aside, but his kindness, it boggles my mind, to be honest. The Bible talks about his kindness drawing people to repentance. And uh, I, I don't get it. I see it. I've experienced it. I don't get it. But it points me to the fact that God is good. And beyond even what I understand to be good, that he is kind, that he is loving, that he is faithful, that he does not leave you. He has not forsaken you. And all his promises are yes and amen. I'm going to give one little illustration of that kindness. I, I, it tickled me, actually, when I first saw it. I thought it was kind of cool. Peter. When Peter is first called, roughly before he was called, uh, I, to be honest, I can't remember if it's, uh, which, which of the Gospels it is. It's either Matthew or Luke, I think. But um, It says there that Peter's been out fishing all night. And uh, the author of the Gospel, he, he writes... That uh, first he hears, if I got the order right, uh, Jesus is, is preaching to the people. And then he changes the word. He says, uh, and then people gather around him and Jesus taught them. So you've had Peter experience preaching and teaching. Two things that are differentiated in this passage. Right after that, Jesus gets in the boat. He says, Peter, let's go fishing. Peter's like, oh, I don't really want to go. I've been doing it all night. But I'll go. And he goes out. Throws out the net. Gets this miraculous catch of fish. I mean, he's a commercial fisherman. It's worth a lot of money. All comes in. What happens? It wasn't the preaching and the teaching. It's the kindness of Christ that all of a sudden drops Peter to his knees and says, Lord, I'm a sinner. Did you catch that? See, when I think of drawing people to repentance, it's a lot more... <laughs> you want to pull a little bit of the hellfire and brimstone and be like, got to get right. Sometimes that works. I mean, sometimes God uses a Nathan to go and talk to David and say, hey, you're the man. That's not a good thing. But then there's some times where he does the miraculous catch of fish to get our attention, say, you know what? I've got something better for you. 
wherever you are. Unless you've made the choice to leave the path, you're still on the path. Whatever you're facing, that's part of the journey, but he who called you is still there. He who gave you that promise, who put that desire in you, is still there. He's not surprised by this. Hebrews 10.23, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people so that you won't become weary and give up. He can set the example for us. He took something brutal. He suffered through it. He was tempted to turn away. But he looked beyond. You know, we can do the same thing. The, passage, the, uh, the hymn, the passage I referred to, the things of this world growing strangely dim. Successes and failures. In the light of him, it, moment by moment, passes, it fades. He remains. We fix our eyes on him, we move forward. So we're going to move into the conclusion and challenge. If you're struggling, then fight. Don't give up. Press on. Don't get weary. Now is not the time to shrink back. Encourage each other and press on. There's hope for your future and the promises of God are yes and amen. He who called you is faithful. Get up. It was always going to be a fight. But it's a fight worth taking. It's a good fight of faith and you're going to come out on top. We include 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11 and 12. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. I'm going to repeat that. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. The very thing you're fighting for. The very thing Christ is looking for when he returns. The very fight we're called to, to believe. You realize that that's what Christ said the work is? To believe in the one who the Father sent? Everything else boils down to that. Do we believe him? That's the ignition. That's the fuel. That's what moves us forward. Either he is or he's not. 
And if he is, I'm all in. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his name. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord, of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to bow our heads for a second and close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Your great love. And today, Lord, we heard the Holy Spirit call us to call us to you, to remind us that the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of your wonderful, wonderful countenance, of your glorious grace. And Lord, you said the way was narrow, that there are valleys and there are mountains, there's successes, there's failures, but your grace is sufficient for us and we can get up. We fall, but we can get up. We say we're dry, Lord, but you've set out of us rivers of living water will flow. You are our faithful promise and our great reward. And it's you we put our eyes on. It's to you that we struggle to move forward. And we struggle because you've equipped us and given us the power to do so. You've given us the direction and the call and the anointing and the leading and the guidance and the faithfulness to help us to move on. Give us grace to remember, Lord God. Let the embers inside us become a passionate, roaring fire again for you, Lord. Take away our dryness, Lord. Fix our eyes on you. Help us to get up and move one more step. Follow by one more step. Follow by one more step. We bless you, Lord God. We thank you that you are faithful to do this and above, abundantly above all that we ask or think. That you are good and you are kind and you are merciful and you call us to you. And it is not an empty promise. It is not an empty call. It is a call that you will fulfill and bless. We bless you, Lord God. Help us to be encouraged and to encourage others to look beyond ourselves and press on. For the glory of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And in him we all say, Amen.